richness, uh, certainly from my perspective, as we looked throughout the book of Romans and get a better sense. And then certainly as we approach uh, the end, uh, I am seeing so much, um, so many patterns and consistency. Now as I look at He's, Paul using the same analogies throughout some of the other letters. And clearly he had digested this. He had been guided by the Holy Spirit and has given us some very rich uh, words to consider. So back in Romans chapter 14 at the beginning. Now receive the one who is weak in the faith and do not have disputes over differing opinions. One person believes in eating everything, but the weak person eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not despise the one who does not, and the one who abstains must not judge the one who eats everything, for God has accepted him. As we kind of look at a recap here, uh, we talked about this briefly, but I kind of want to continue to keep it in the focus. Uh, what do you think Paul meant here uh, when, he, when he was talking about weak in the faith versus strong in the faith? Let me start out by asking, I, as I was like looking at this again, look at the, the term opinion. Normally, we think of an opinion as uh, a preference. Is that what we're talking about here? This was a religious conviction. Someone had changed their lives and their behavior based on this Opinion. So as I was looking at, at that again, opinion is a much stronger word than I was originally reading it. Someone, once again, these are religious convictions. We talk often about how, well, this is just a matter of opinion. These, once again, these people are changing their behavior based on a spiritual conviction. Helen? Well, I would compare it to 1 Corinthians 9, 22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I became all things to all that I might by some means save some. So now that would help us understand that he's not becoming sinful. Very good. He's becoming helpful to their need. To them, they are weak, but it's not something that's going to be spiritually damning to him or or them. It's something that they have an opinion on, but it's it's more than that. It's something that's a strong thing, and he says they're weak in that. They just haven't learned the liberty yet. So it doesn't matter for me in regards to that. I hadn't considered that. Yeah, like to the weak I became weak. Does that mean that he <laughs> degraded himself spiritually so that he could appeal? Uh, no, certainly we know that that's not what he meant. Um, you, you, you know, the example he gives here in verse 2 is that one person believes one thing about whether or not I can eat meat, and then there is another group of people that believes that I can eat meat. Right now, do you guys know which one was which here? Which which one? Which group? The Gentiles or the Jews were the ones that could eat meat. He doesn't really tell us, does he? Why? And he, it, it could have been, it absolutely could have been uh, that when it comes to, well, I didn't have a, a kosher butcher in, you know, in Rome or something like that. But he, does, he doesn't really answer that question. And that kind of emphasizes the point that that's not really what we're discussing here. 
Um, uh, and you know, when it comes to a matter of who is right and who is wrong, he doesn't even deal with that here, does he? Now, he will later. But what is his priority about what is happening here? Um, so uh, we are to, to, re- to receive one who is weak. Um, I was listening once again uh, to, to Tom Hamilton's series on this, and he, he brought out a pretty good point that I liked. Um, and, and it was just this idea that it may not have necessarily been, you know, uh, spiritual maturity that we're talking about when it comes to uh, strong and, and weak, but maybe what my conscience will allow me to do. And we're going to talk about conscience quite a bit and why that is so important in following that. So um, I thought that was interesting as I kind of looked at this again, this idea of opinion has a much stronger connotation than I originally thought. Uh, because once again, these are individuals that are shaping their lives on these opinions, if you will. And so what do you do? We have a situation here where a, a group of individuals strongly believes in this thing so that they can be right before God. And this other group that says, well, that, <laughs> you don't really have to do that uh, in order to be right before God. Um, and so... Uh, there's a, there's a, a broad kind of command that he makes here. Uh, the one who eats everything must not despise the one who does not, and the one who abstains must not judge the one who eats everything, for God has accepted him. Who are you to pass judgment on another servant? Before his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. So uh, we had talked about this quite a bit. Um, what, what does it look like for this, uh, this advice, the spiritual advice uh, that we see in verse, uh, in verse 3? What does it look like for that not to be followed? What happens? What does it look like in a congregation? What does that look like in a relationship what are some of the, the telltale signs? What do you see when someone doesn't heed this advice? When someone tries to force their view on the whole congregation. Very good. And what does that usually result in? Division. Some division, right? Certainly not love there. Um, and so the opposite of this is I have decided um, that at one point God uh, demanded a Sabbath, right? And so um, maybe we don't practice the Sabbath the same way or something like that, but I believe that we should never purchase anything on Sunday, right? That's good. Like that kind of goes along with with the idea of Sabbath. I feel very spiritually convicted by that. I, I feel good about that. It's, it's something that I have kind of like done in my life to get a little closer to God or maybe in terms of like making my life more disciplined. Now, is that wrong for me not to... Not at all. That's not wrong at all. When does it become wrong? When I walk through the door this night and maybe, maybe I don't stand up from the pulpit and go, you know, I really think you guys should. But maybe it's like, I'm, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to associate with that person. 
I am, I'm not to be going to be connected or close to that individual. I think that's where some of the big, big danger lies. Maybe it's not in a vocal sense, but it's in a very quiet sense where I refuse to grow closer with someone or at least attempt to encourage someone and build someone because they may not hold that same exact um, that, that same exact conviction that I do. I think that's where this is really, really powerful. Because I've done this. I have mentally done this. And this chapter is making me go, man, that is not love. That is not towards unity. That is not building up the body. It could be a variety of things. I think we could probably all think about our lives and some of the convictions that we hold and go, I don't normally talk to that individual. They don't think the same way I do about, and maybe we're not that overt, even in our own thinking, but that can happen. And for me, that was the, uh, a scary realization. Uh, he talks about despising, and I kind of got that idea from the pandemic and Brandon's attitudes, you know, across Facebook about whether we should meet or not, or whether we should take the Lord's Supper virtually or not, and things like that. It got to the point where some people, they despise one another. Yeah. And yeah. they would have splits in churches and elderships, and, and it was that, that's exactly speaking to this point. There were a lot of opportunities during that pandemic to do this, weren't there? There still are. And I, I agree with you. It was very difficult to navigate those times, wasn't it? It was really difficult to know how I felt about it. It was difficult to know if I should feel bad about meeting virtually. And I think everyone in the room felt the same way. And what's incredible is this guiding principle that is based on not despising one another. It's that glue that is holding this popsicle stick bridge <laughs> that we've hastily put together you know, as, as a body and just trying to hold that together. And certainly, uh, I think that, that that is a really good example. What if, for example, the eldership decided that uh, we were not going to meet anymore on Wednesday nights? And just, just because of whatever reason we weren't going to... How do you feel when Wednesday at 6.30 rolls around and it's time to get in the car? For a while, I'd feel like, man, maybe, maybe I should go somewhere else. Like, I'm a member here, but I better go over here because my entire life, Wednesday at 7 o'clock or 7.30, I've been in a building somewhere. And what happens when someone goes, no, it's okay. You know, go do your thing. Uh, there, there is... <laughs> There is a lot of room for traps to be set. And I'll talk about that term traps because he actually mentions that in that particular uh, scenario. Yeah. Um, so when I was out in Chicago, they had a good week was on Tuesday. And for some of us that did not live there our whole lives, um, it was rather odd. Um, and so we didn't make a thing of it. Like, it was what they did. Um, but we, amongst several of us, 
sober. And because it kind of suited their consciousness. Sure. I, yeah. And so, I, but I think that's kind of the thing is it's not like we don't want to run each other, run each other over, but we want to continue to push each other towards truth and how whatever that looks like, that's what we should be sharing with. It's a really good example because. Uh, that's, a, that's certainly a sign of change, and change happens within the body of Christ in a local congregation all the time. Should we meet virtually? Should we not meet virtually? That kind of thing. How do you maintain unity in a situation like that? How do you continue to progress in the body of Christ in a situation like that? That's what this chapter is about. I guess my question would be, so your conscience feels wrong because it's something that we've always traditionally done. We're not commanded to meet on Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. um, so we've trained our consciences to feel that way, but um, I mean, I guess it could be one of those things where you're trying to push either for or against off on someone else that, that doesn't feel that way, but I don't think it's a matter of scripture. Wednesday night, Wednesday night is a tradition. Now, uh, you, certainly you can make a, a lot of arguments about why a local congregation can meet Tuesday night, or Wednesday night, or Thursday night, or once on Sunday, or <laughs> however you want to do that. And Paul furthermore goes on to say that the conscience is very, a very important thing. It's not meant to casually be bypassed. And he turns around and he calls that a setting a trap for a brother or sister if you're pushing them outside their conscience. Now we also know that consciences can be trained wrong, can't they? And I just, I, I'm gaining such an appreciation for what is meant by this chapter in order to maintain unity in situations that arise uh, like this and that may continue on. Right? Um, I think I look at this as how do you handle when people grow? How do you handle when uh, perspective changes, when maturity occurs faster in one individual than it does in another individual? How, how is a body supposed to operate and continue to work together in harmony and in unity? And he has the answer. Don't despise. Don't despise the one who may feel a certain way. Don't judge someone that may feel a certain way. I realize that we can talk a lot about, well, there are clearly things wrong, and I totally agree with you, but I don't want to take away the power of this particular chapter when it comes to maintaining uh, unity in times of uncertainty. Yeah. I just love chapter 12, too. I feel like if we're doing everything, I totally agree, and I, I do love this picture that is being painted about how the, how the body is really knit together. I mean, I and I think a lot of people can understand the beauty of the, the engineering and the architecture of the systems of the body and how well they operate together. And what happens when one system fails? It's typically not in isolation, is it? Typically leads to a cascading failure within a system because they're all working together so 
uh, so closely. I had another comment. Bob, yes. Romans 14, uh, to me, is a chapter about sacrificial love. Mm -hmm. It's not about all these. I mean, it is about these. These are examples of where we can see that manifested or not manifested. But it's about our willingness to uh, abide together at different places of, call it what you will, spiritual maturity, growth, yes. closeness to God, yes. not so far, but we're all walking down the same road. Some uh, are, have been walking longer than others, mm -hmm. and there's, there's different perspectives and an understanding, and uh, the one in the front is supposed to look back and love the one in the back. Yes. It's just like uh, they were walking alongside because they were there themselves. And uh, as the whole book uh, is kind of built on the foundation of love. Be Excellent. I, I love that sac that concept of sacrificial love. There's a lot of empathy. There's a lot of patience. There's a lot of recognition. Um, you know, uh, when it comes to what we consider fellowship, and we kind of talked about this in the last class, and it's like, I probably wouldn't have fellowshiped myself five years ago. You know what I mean? Because people change, and they're meant to change, and the whole idea is to change and to grow, and how do you, how do you continue to operate? How do you con continue to grow together? Sacrificial love is the answer. I mean, how did Jesus handle disputes? I mean, he could have confronted it directly with his apostles. No, he was waiting for them to grow. He knew that they needed to grow. And so uh, when it comes to um, how, do, how do you handle this, it's about sacrificial love. And uh, the, the heading, and I, I had put this in the questions, but the heading uh, had had kind of listed chapter 14 as a call to mutual forbearance. I like sacrificial love a little bit better, but the same concept of just both of you guys decide that you're going you're you're gonna to try to work together because we're trying to find Christ. We're going to talk about a little bit about how to handle the situation when someone's not looking but for Christ, but that's not what this chapter is talking about. Okay, very good. Verse 5, one person regards one day holier than other days, and another reg regards them all alike. Each must be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day does it for the Lord. The one who eats, eats for the Lord, because he gives thanks to God. And the one who abstains from eating, abstains for the Lord. And he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and none dies for himself. If we live, we live it for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he may be both the Lord of both the dead and the living. In verse 5, Paul says, Each must be fully convinced in his own mind. What does this mean? And, and why, why does Paul say this? It almost sounds like, we're allowed to just completely let our conscience drive what we consider right and wrong. Um, I think of the prophet Zechariah and what he was talking to them about how they, they observed certain days, but why? They just did it. Hmm. It wasn't from faith. And this right here is just talking about how it's got to be, you've got to be convinced in your own mind. Sometimes people say, well, he's just a weak brother, or they usually choose himself on just weak in this. 
And one brother said, well, that means you need to be taught. And I think, you know, to somebody to be convinced, they might need help in being convinced, not left weak. And that's a love we express towards them if we do it the right way. It's, it's, yeah, absolutely, Alan. Yeah. We've got to be convinced in our own mind. can't just be like the Lord and Zacharias they do it, doing it because it's that time to do it. Excellent. Very good. Um, in order to live this life, this life brings joy and it brings peace, but it's not an easy life. In fact, we were promised a lot of times hardship because of the life that we live or our confession in Jesus Christ. If we're going to behave like a Christian, you better be fully convinced that what you're doing is worth it. And I do think that this has a lot to do, like this idea of faith, not just faith in God, but this whole idea like, I wouldn't be living like this if I didn't believe it. I wouldn't be struggling with guilt over accidentally calling someone a bad name. You know what I mean? I I remember... um, Oh, and this was in my younger, less mature days, but looking at a friend going, man, they don't ever experience guilt for any of their actions. Now, I was wrong about that. Obviously, people experience guilt uh, for things that they do or they're made to feel guilty. Uh, But once again, just this idea of we have a tendency to be pretty (laughs) self-conscious because we're trying to live right. And even that comes with a lot of, uh, of burden, if you will. So why do we do that? Well, we, because we believe and we're fully convinced that Jesus died for me to allow me to become adopted by God. And that makes me want to live right. So when I have a, what the world might consider a very small slip-up, and I beat myself up over it, it's because I'm fully convinced. Um, and this idea that that is what faith is, driving that individual. Uh, and, and so in order to live the life that we're called to live, we have to be fully convinced of what we're doing, and the way that we're, do, uh, the way that we're doing it is right. And that does change. That's kind of the context of this chapter. But I love how Paul ties into the fact that when you go to do something, you're doing it because you believe in it. Tommy. When you say he talks, he's talking about the eating of meats and not eating meats. Specifically in verses 2 and 3. He's also talking there in verse 5 about the keeping of that. Mm-hmm. When he says each man must be fully convinced he's on mine. Uh, verse 14, I know a man can convince in the Lord Jesus that nothing unclean in itself. So that's Tells us something's right. 
doesn't mean it's right. Right. Paul's persecution of Christians right. thought he was right in mm-hmm. Acts 23 and 1. Agreed. But on the other hand, if in a matter like this, uh, if in a matter like this, we violate our conscience, I think it was you who said Sunday, that our conscience is a guardrail to kind of keep us in track. If we, we can't run over our conscience either, and we can't encourage, we can't disregard our conscience, nor can, nor should we ever be in a position to encourage someone to go ahead and do something right. that you think uh, is sinful in these kind of these kind of Absolutely, and <laughs> I mean obviously. We have a profound appreciation for what the conscience is, but the recognition that I might be doing a right thing and yet it still be sin because it's not done by faith for me personally was kind of a mind blowing realization. I mean, we can take a right thing and make it wrong because we have violated our conscience. Now, what kind of value? Does that, does that imply that God puts on our conscience? Once again, we know that consciences can be uh, trained in a wrong way and have to be relearned, and that's really what this chapter is about, is helping someone rebuild those guardrails or helping them find those guardrails because they grew up without one, you know, and that kind of thing. And so I thought it was really amazing. There's such a depth to our perspective and our behavior and how it shapes our behavior. And this thing like, well, I don't know if I should do this. Look, you gotta learn to listen to that because when people come along and push us over that guardrail, that can be a catastrophic thing. And Paul says, you'll destroy the Lord's work if you do that. All of the, all of the wisdom and guidance from the Spirit can be undone by you being uh, a little pushy, right? About your convictions and telling someone, ah, it's okay, everything's going to be fine. And you kind of drag them kicking and screaming. That's a terrible thought. And that is definitely not something that's done out of love. If anything, that's done out of pride. And pride can certainly destroy quite a bit. Um, Got a comment over here. So, really neat this idea of uh, abiding by conscience uh, as kind of a, a fallback mechanism if you will so i guess i'm a little bit confused um on maybe how you define your conscience um because this particular matter that he's discussing paul says there's nothing wrong with you can eat anything you want mm-hmm. and so once they had this letter from paul and once we have this letter from I almost don't feel like it can be this matter of conscience that's subjective anymore because there is a truth on it. (laughs) So if there is a truth that's clear, can it still be a matter of conscience? One one day you might consider something is very clear, and the next day you realize maybe you were mistaken. Or new information arises that makes that slightly less clear. I totally agree with you. That's what this whole process is about. Someone that comes in 
and has maybe read from the book of Luke for two hours and comes into this class, doesn't have the experience, the knowledge, all of those things that, that ultimately solidify my perspective, is not going to believe the same way that I do. And so, for sure, when we see something in the Bible that's clear, our conscience should adapt to that, and it should hurt our conscience to go against that. Now, as we grow, and we gain new maturity, gain new insights, gain new perspectives, hear of someone's experience that changes our mind a little bit, the whole idea is this evolution and adaptation of what we consider the right thing to do. And I think what he's saying is, you should always try to go towards what you think is the right thing to do. Maybe sometimes that's wrong. But that is where grace comes in. That's where encouragement comes in. That's where growth comes in. I got a couple of hands, Tommy and then, and then Alan. Thank you. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, once again, this is once you you may feel like you're doing them a favor, and, and you, you mess up, and and all of a sudden, what you considered yourself as being strong, you turned out to be weak. And isn't that the whole idea behind this? Uh, Luke. Absolutely. Very, very well put. And, and with that, let's continue reading on. Therefore, we must not pass judgment on one another, but rather determine never to place an obstacle or a trap before a brother or sister. That's a scary visual. I don't know if I'm reading from the NET. I don't know if, if trap, there's a different word for trap there. But even if it wasn't there and it was just obstacle, would you feel good about placing an obstacle and someone that's trying to run the same race that you are, knowing how difficult it's been to continue on day after day, living right? No. We want to push those obstacles out of the way. God forbid that we place an obstacle in, in front of them. Once again, he goes back in verse uh, 14 and actually gives the answer. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean in, uh, in and of itself. Still, it is unclean to the one who considers it unclean. For if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy by your food someone for whom Christ died. Another striking visual there. And I think in the past, I have simply read over these things and kind of processed the words. But there's a lot of implications here. When you go to identify people that you just simply want to hang out with because they may or may not share a particular conviction, be careful. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying reevaluate that. Are you potentially moving towards placing an obstacle in between a relationship, in between an opportunity to help? Do not destroy by your food someone for who Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you consider good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God does not consist of food and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For the one who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to, to God and approved by people. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for building up one another. Notice the difference here. Don't destroy, build up. We talked about that the last time. That's what Paul was really good at conveying, in my opinion. Don't break down, always build up. Don't break down. Don't destroy. Don't tear down. Build up. Encourage. Help grow. Nourish. All of those things. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. For although all things are clean, it is wrong to cause anyone to stumble by what you eat. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith you have... Keep to yourself before God. Blessed is the one who does not judge himself by what he approves. But the man who doubts is condemned if he eats 
because he does not do so from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Why should I care if someone is distressed at my actions? I have been annoyed (laughs) when people are distressed by my actions. When brethren have been distressed by my actions. I think that's probably a natural thing, but it's certainly not a spiritual thing, right? Um, I have been annoyed by someone. Why should I be concerned? Why is it their business? True. Why is it their business? Alan? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, So of yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. This is, if you are not concerned about it, you're not concerned about being part of the Spirit. The Spirit wants us to build up the church. And if I'm, and if I'm bothered by it, I'm not in the spirit. Oh, sorry. Oh, and then. I... Um, and since we're running a free living race, so we're running. Yes. Yeah. And my person needs to stop. How can I not be affected by that? Very, very good analogy, right? We we are running together. We're coupled together because we're a body and each system relies on the other to do their part. Uh, Back in in Romans 12, uh, you know, that was mentioned earlier, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you not to think of uh, of yourself more highly than you ought to, but to think with sober discernment as God has distributed each of you a measure of faith. For just as one, as in one body we have many members and not all the members serve the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, have different gifts. Talks about all these ways that we can build and support and uh, and nurture one another. Go ahead. And you don't know, but that person may be looking up to you, trying to attain where you are, yes. uh, because they respect you highly and see where you are in your relationship with God. And if you do something that tears that. Absolutely. Uh, It it would not be in love, right? And so, um, this is is a really, all of these are delicate situations, aren't they? And Paul is saying, you got to handle stuff delicately sometimes, (laughs) you know, like, sometimes, Jesse, you're not allowed to be annoyed. Well, I don't want to be annoyed. No, you're not allowed to, because some people depend on you. And you may not recognize it or see it, but Avon Heights depends on you. I'm talking to each one of you. Avon Heights depends on you. That's kind of an incredible thing to think about. When maybe you don't participate that much. Maybe you do a lot of participation in your head. That's great. And whether you know it or not, people do depend on you. That's a beautiful thing. It's an incredible thing. And it's a weighty thing, too, something that we got to handle uh, with, with some like that. Sorry, this is a heavy question, but and of course I totally agree with the Bible. I have to, and I want to. <laughs> but I know there has to be a line. Um, I know Christians who believe the Bible class is wrong, but if someone 
came in here and said they did a career five class, I don't think we would all say, oh, okay, well, we need to quit having them because that's what he, she thinks. Right. How, how do we determine that line? Who gets to determine that? Well, at the end of the day, everyone determines that for themselves. You can believe that the elders are really responsible for a sense of authority at this body. Or you can go to a place where they're, they don't believe that. They still have a bunch of elders, but you don't really have to listen to them. You're going to make that call based on what you see in the Bible, what your experiences tell you. That's the whole idea behind this. I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to every individual going, that's what I believe. That's what I think is right. That's what I think God will accept. It just so happens that in this body, we all hold very, fami- uh, very closely <laughs> held ideals. Are they 100% across the board? I don't think you will ever get to that point. And in fact, Paul is saying that when you find yourself in a situation where it's clearly going to be less than 100%, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to love that individual. You're not supposed to despise that individual. There is a line. I don't want to take that away. I just don't think Romans 14 is a place to define that line. There are other places that will define that line. And clearly we know that there are, um, there's milk of the word and meat of the word. And here he gives the right answer <laughs> to a conundrum that they were clearly feeling. And then he continues on to say, really wasn't the point, right? You're supposed to sacrificially love. Yes, go ahead. I remember several years ago Almost every gospel preacher had a sermon entitled, Let My Conscience Be Your God. Mm-hmm. And during all of that process, there were hundreds of subjects that were discussed. Uh, does it matter what color the grape juice is? Right. Can I go and eat at KFC knowing that a big hunk of their money is donated to the church? Right. right. Uh, I ran into the issue, I had three gospel meetings and one the meeting. Uh, you're only allowed to preach from the King James Bible. Mm-hmm. Don't try to go over there with the American standard. That's <laughs> not the work. And then I'll give one other example. I had a gospel meeting scheduled in Illinois. I'd already been to this church three times, going back for another gospel meeting. And I got a phone call one night that said, hey Bob, somebody recently saw you and said you were wearing a beard. And I didn't realize that that was a serious conversation. I laughed and I said, yeah, that's a lovely one too. <laughs> and they said, well, we just had a business meeting and you must either shave off the beard or we will cancel the gospel meeting. Wow. Now, I could have spent hours trouble. arguing that I had the right, right. to wear the beard, right. but I went ahead and even shaved it off. But then two weeks later, before the gospel meeting, I got another phone call. Bob, it's been reported you shaved off the beard, but you left the mustache. Okay. I said, okay, do you want me to shave off the mustache? I said, look, if you really want to cancel the meeting, there will be no hard feelings on my part. But I'm willing, and I'll tell you what, I'm willing to shave off the mustache also, and I will stay clean shaven all week. But I feel obligated to have one lesson during this gospel meeting. 
where that I'm going to talk that there is a strong brother and there is a weak brother. Now we're entering a period right now where a lot of brethren are going to be divided. I've got a good friend that will not allow the word Christmas to be used in conversation. Now, you know, we can say, well, it's okay if you don't want to put up a tree. It's okay if you don't want to have a big Christmas lunch. And so it comes back to that point is that I can only bind my conscience yes. for me to make yes. sure that I'm doing what's right. Yeah. I have made many sacrifices for that I do think that you are wrong, and I will try to teach you in the future. But I don't want to bind my conscience on your conscience. And I think when we look at what Paul is saying in Romans and in Corinthians, is that we realize that we're we're willing to take one step backwards. Yes. Very well put. I like that idea of it's my conscience. It's not someone else's conscience. I've got to live my life by my conscience, and I. I'm not allowed to bind that on other people. Now, I may go to a place where no one agrees with me what's, you know, whatsoever, but I still hold that conviction in my, in my conscience. I've got to live that way. That's really what Paul is talking about. I had a couple, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I think I think you did the right thing. I do, and and I think that that was a really good way to handle that. And prior to you telling me that story, I probably would have thought twice <laughs> about doing that. But that kind of goes into kind of what we're talking about here. I will be shaped and changed every single day, and I really hope that Avon Heights will continue to help me grow as I continue. To try to help you grow as well, uh, Al. Uh, with the sisters' comment, uh, what do you do? I remember when we had a congregation of twelve people in one place I was, and we were meeting in the home during the week occasionally in somebody's home, and we would eat afterwards. And someone said, "Well, we're all 100 of us here in the church, and all we're having this, and so we're not right." Then in the same conversation, well, women shouldn't speak in the, in, in the class. What we did in both those situations is we stopped the practice right there and studied it. And then we were able to return to it. But we observed that brother's conscience and 
until we started it out, we stopped the process. Isn't it incredible to to recognize this is this is a very godlike thing to sacrifice kind of going back to that phrase sacrificial love thank you so much incredible discussion tonight uh, chris will pick it up this is my last class i have grown exponentially uh, by studying romans with you and, and the good conversations that we've had so thank you for that and we'll lord willing see you on sunday